Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, once again, we're joined by Andrew Grant, CEO of Tyrion. Um, Andrew, thanks for joining us, and thanks for coming back. Great to be back. It's nice to be able to spread this over three sessions so people can get the it has content. Been good. Yeah, to give people a bit of a summary. So session one, we talked yes. about Who cre Killed Creativity. That's a book that you authored. Uh, and then session two, we went into creative thinking and what that might mean. Uh, also looked at uh, creating a question with ambiguity. Um, we might recap a little bit on that. And then today we're looking at critical thinking. One of the things you left us on, on last episode was... Um, if children are so creative, then why are they not the CEOs of businesses? So I think that's a great place to start from. But um, thanks again for joining us. Let's jump right in. So, well, let's go back to session one where we looked at the, the book we've written and, and we've now got it as an online gamified simulation that you can buy and download yourself and run it. But it basically is a diagnostic tool to try and discover what blocks our creativity. We've obviously want to be creative in the way we present things. So we've themed it up as a crime scene investigation and called it Who Kill Creativity, uh, where you can play detectives to hide behind safe characters to try and work out what are the things that block creativity. No one's going to go to the boss's office and say, you've, you've blocked my creativity. But you know, during that session, we spent a lot of time on case studies of companies we've worked with where people have said, I had this great idea, but I just couldn't get it out, or I, I was afraid, fear, too much pressure, I was too apathetic, um, too narrow-minded, I just couldn't get it out. So I think it's really important that we actually get people to uh, understand that first and go through that process before they move on to the creative thinking. So a lot of people tend to jump into the creative thinking. They've got all the tools, all the design thinking tools that they're uh, in front of them, all the models in front of them, the hundreds of books that have been written on it, hundreds of courses people have taken, but but they're wondering why they still can't be creative because up here the neuroscience is not allowing them to be creative or their workplace environment or, the, or their upbringing or their school. It doesn't matter. Something's blocked that creativity. So we really spent a lot of time, and that's the first half of the book, Who Killed Creativity?, looking at what we think is really important and the ability for anyone to sit down with their leaders and teams, use the online game and have a discussion. What are the things that are blocking our creativity? What are the rescue strategies? What can we do about it? By then, that allows us to say, okay, now we actually want to move into the creative thinking. It's um, the other word that is very used at the moment is design thinking or CPS, creative problem solving. And that allows us to now move into let's come up with these great ideas. And Andrew, as you pointed out, uh, in that first session, we really looked at creative thinking and we looked at the concept of the importance of asking the right questions because if you don't ask the right questions, you won't get the right answers and people tend to overlook that and jump straight into brainstorming. We also then looked at what are the ambiguities that you need to find. It's no good, and it's no good as we worked with a company that said we want to engage our employees. Anyone can throw that out as a question. Then we got the, the the ambiguity. We want to engage our employees, but we can only pay the minimum salary. Well, I'm not going to get into the ethics of that. Um, but but once you get that ambiguity, the but, the if, the what, then all of a sudden it becomes what's called a wicked problem. And that is a, a difficult problem, not something that just you brainstorm. Once you've got that ambiguity, you then put that into the brainstorming ideation mode, which most people are familiar with the concept of that. Noting that the best brainstorming ideas often only come out in the last third of a brainstorming activity, according to the research. And then finally, right? we want to make sure that we're using all parts of our brain, the left side, the right side, the fast side, the slow side, the thinking fast, thinking slow, the extrovert, the introvert, all parts of the team, the explorers and the preservers, to make sure we really have uh, brainstormed every possible opportunity and not just the ones that are our preference. And I use the example of when we throw or catch something, we tend to throw it in one hand, which makes that the, new, the muscle neurons uh, pathway is much better at connecting that hand up, but at the expense of this hand. And so often when we go to try and come up with creative ideas, we may be very focused on the left side of the brain, which is the logical, rational side of the brain, or we may be focused on the right side of the brain, which is the touchy-feely kinesthetic. And not many of us are ambidextrous enough to be able to jump across and say, well, we've explored everything on this side. Now let's explore on that side. 
But, Andrew, that leaves us to the uh, last question, and that was... Yeah, the last piece. <laughs> what was the last question? If, if... Oh, the question you left us with in the last episode was all about um, if children are so creative. I think you mentioned in episode one that uh, I think 98% of children under five, some number like that, are genius level of creativity, but then by the time they're adults, it's 2%. So there's a change there. But you mentioned if children are so creative, why are they not see as a company? Exactly. Um, so one yes. of the things we, and thank you for reminding me, we looked at in that first session of Who Killed Creativity is ironically, uh, at children, their creativity is flourishing. 98% of children score high on genius, think the ability to connect things and put things together. And we realize that drops to 2% as adults. Uh, at the same time, IBM and the World Economic Forum both said creative thinking is the, is the greatest attribute we need as a skill as adults. And yet, if I'm in a room of 50 people, uh, I'm lucky to get two people to put their hand up and say that they are, uh, one or two people to put their hand up to say that they feel they are as creative as they are now as they mm. were as children. Most of us recognize as kids, we were really good at asking questions. Um, we look at our own kids and wonder why they just come up with so many great ideas. So we were very fortunate, and, and this video is on YouTube, to interview Baroness Susan Greenfield, who is a very decorated uh, researcher on the area of creativity and neuroscience. And we put that question to her, why are kids um, great at being CEOs if they're so good at being creative? And if many of the research says that we need creativity in our current organisation? And the answer is, and this segues nicely into today's session, is kids are absolutely brilliant at coming up with lots of ideas. They're fearless. They, they, their brains explore out in every possible direction. Um, they're really, really good at asking questions. They're great at challenging dogma. They're great at exploring a range of ideas and, and bringing things together and making those connections. Like my son with the biscuit story, he could make something out of a biscuit. And, and this is something we tend to lose uh, as we get older in, in our, as, as, as adults. However, what kids are not great at is the ability to implement it. So they're really good at the inquiry stage. They're really good at the exploring stage, uh, but they're not great at the solving stage or the applying stage. So just sadly, as we as we um, as the kids develop one and two, they're not very good at three and four. And then as adults, we develop the ability to solve and apply. And just as we develop that ability to solve and apply, we lose the ability to create and explore. And so this is the, I don't know, I don't know what the perfect age is. <laughs> well, maybe we need to bring more children or younger adults into creative thinking. Well, it shows again, you want the diversity. I mean, sometimes the most creative people in the companies yeah. are the brand new ones that oh, are not... Yeah. Uh, polluted by the company ideas. You mm -hmm. know, when you walk into a chlorinated indoor pool, when you first walk into the door, you smell the chlorine really strongly, but then after a while you don't notice it. And I think we don't, we, we shouldn't underestimate the new people in our organization that may come in with that innocent question and ask us something that, uh, you know, that we hadn't thought of. So, yes. but, but, but here's the, as we segue into the critical thinking stage, which is what today is about, those kids are great at the creative thinking, but they're not great at the critical thinking. A lot of adults are very good at critical thinking, but not good at creative thinking. However, to go through the entire process, we must do both. Um, creative thinking on its own, as, as we left off last time, will leave you with great ideas, pie in the sky, brainstorming, which really upsets a lot of people because they go, what a waste of time. You know, it won't work. Um, but now it's time to bring those ideas down and actually come up with something more tangible. Maybe we need to go back to like the 1850s where kids are 10 years old entering the workforce and you might get that right mix. <laughs> well, there was a bit of slave labour there. That was below minimum wage, wasn't it? <laughs> Correct. So explain what could you, so we're effectively, we've gone through the, the, the design thinking stage. We've got 101 ideas um, and two might be okay. What do we do now? Do we test every idea? Do we uh, we have to obviously put some bit of matrix and do some maybe analysis on different ideas, maybe financial models, what they mean. It depends on the idea clearly. Um, but what's some of the key things we might start off with just to get from a list of 100, 200 ideas that we may have on a, on a whiteboard down to the things that we're actually going to physically test? Because testing all of them may be um, a little bit out of un, unrealistic, but testing some of them is really where we need to be. So what's that first step to get to the list Well, down? let's quickly summarise back up. Creative thinking is the thinking we do when we generate ideas. Mm -hmm. Critical thinking is the thinking we do when we judge those ideas. So again, 
I think where there's a great gap in the marketplace is not many people do both. Now, the idea of having a creative process freaks people out because process doesn't feel like it's creative. No, correct. Creativity <laughs> doesn't feel like it should be a process. Yes. Um, and yet, you know, one of the reasons I think uh, some of the big yeah. global banks became our best customers 15 years ago is they realized that we weren't just talking fluffy brainstorming, hold hands, sing kumbaya and come up with idea, creative ideas. They like the fact that we came up with the concept of a creative process. Um, and so therefore, don't be upset by the paradox of creativity and process. You actually need a process to make sure that we are walking through these four modes. And that is the inquire mode with the questioning, the exploring mode with the brainstorming. And now we want to move into this critical thinking, which is what you mentioned, Andrew, is the solving mode. It's the integration. It's the connecting things together. We, we call it reconstructing common concepts. So it's about pulling things apart, putting them together, pulling things apart, putting them together. But just to go back to your brainstorming idea, and I, I can't remember now if we shared this story, but one of, the, one of the, our, our big sort of aha moments was when a general manager um, engaged us for a lot of money to do creative thinking with, with his team to solve difficult problems. And we thought his team meant he would be part of the process. He came in and gave us a, a great condescending speech in the morning and then said, I'll be back in a couple of days. Enjoy your training as if we we're all patted on the head. And the whole team looked and said, what, you're not going to be here? And I hate the word training because it implies I'm just giving you a skill. Uh, what we were saying is we are going to go through this amazing process to come up with these fantastic ideas and, and bring them through to implementation. So we got to that ideation stage where we had hundreds of ideas around the room. And that was day one. And then day two, which is what we're going to talk about now, is we came in and really narrowed those ideas down. The problem is when the GM came in at the presentation session, which was the end of day two, um, he didn't listen to anyone's presentation. He just looked around the room and freaked out because he saw so many ideas. And what we have to understand is, as you said, Andrew, 90% of those ideas are, are terrible. They're just rubbish. Um, they don't work. But we're not looking for 90% of those ideas. We're not looking to implement 100 of those ideas. We're only looking to implement one or two. Mm -hmm. But to get to those one or two, to, to find the ones that actually work, that, that's going to go into this next stage, we need to go through that brainstorming. So as people were presenting to him, his body language was just appalling. Um, and and by, the, by the time the last couple of teams got up to present, they were all saying, you do it, you do it, I don't want to do it. Oh. So they went from being really enthusiastic to, I don't want to present to this guy, because he just... He was quite rude. He, he, he didn't. He wasn't encouraging them. So he killed creativity, and he was the one that engaged us to do it. But so he's the complete killer of creativity. You found it without even looking. <laughs> <laughs> he killed, yeah. you know, thousands of dollars yeah. worth of budget and, and days of training and, and, and weeks of preparation because he didn't come on the program and he didn't understand the process. And as I said, he wasn't listening to the end solution of that one idea and how it was going to work. He was looking around the room at maybe we should have taken everything down off the room. But, but this is where we're trying to get to now. We've got to get to the stage where we get all those hundreds of ideas and find the best ones. So a filter, like you said, 90 out of 100 could be thrown in the bin. Um, What's the first step of judging an idea? Because obviously there's someone with an idea, but what do we do to judge? Do we go through okay, each well, one, one at a time? We're still not even, I'm, I'm still, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that's the apply yeah. stage of yes. will it work? Well, what we've got mm -hmm. to do now is connect the things together. So let's say we've got lots and lots of great ideas. It's really now about connecting it together. And as I said, calling it re uh, constructing common concepts. So critical thinking for more creative solutions is the ability to connect seemingly unrelated things together. So you could almost say kids are still good at this. But some great examples of this is the, um, the, the uh, what do you call it, the borderless phones that we've now got. Oh, yeah. They came from a tech guy looking at a, what do they call the infinity pools? Um, and he looked at these infinity pools and yeah. went, hang on, yes. I can make a phone like that. Or the, the slide to unlock your phone came from a tech guy on an aeroplane opening the aeroplane door. <laughs> So, so these are the creative moments that most, I mean, how many of us have, I won't say sat in infinity pools, uh, but how many of us have slid that thing on the aeroplane and, and never, never made the connection? We just day in and day out do these mundane ideas um, and, and we don't see the connections. But if you're looking and you're reconstructing, you're pulling things apart and putting them together and pulling them apart and putting them together, you will start to go, oh, hang on, I can use this idea from over here, which might be on the left side of your brainstorming map mm -hmm. and connect it up with this one over here, which might be on the right side of your brainstorming map um, or right, right, brain, right brain side of your map. 
Um, there's so many of examples of people connecting things together. Uh, I, lo I love the one of, um, that I've seen in Singapore. Um, squash is a very dying competition. We all know the number one tennis players. We know they make a lot of money, but squash is, is, is a very dying sport. Um, it's one of my favourite sports when I was growing up. Now all the squash courts are turned into condos. Yeah, they're all gone, haven't they? Um, and also there's a, there's a shopping centre in Singapore, Kalang Shopping Centre, and it was, um, you know, a very dead and empty shopping centre because the Big Brother Sports Stadium was open next door that had all the fancy shops. And now you would wonder what would squash and shopping have in common other than the letter S. But in this case, shops and squash both were dying in this particular region. Now, this is more than a one plus one equals two. When we're talking about reconstructing common concepts, what we're talking about is how do we make a one plus one equal three? Mm -hmm. And so what you can see now is they took the squash competition that was out somewhere where no one went to see it and plonked the squash court totally plexiglass, plexiglass all the way around at 360, right in the middle of the shopping centre and ran the CIMB um, Asian National Squash Tournament there. Well, the shopping centre had never had more people at it and the squash people had never had more people viewing it. And so it's a great example of, of, of two totally unrelated concepts coming together. Now, the, the other thing we've now seen is indoor climbing gyms. If you go across the bridge to the sports stadium, you go to the indoor climbing gym in Singapore and it's no longer in some, you know, uh, uh, um, boiling hot, you know, tin roof, roof, yeah. plastic chairs <laughs> yeah. where the, where, and a vending machine that the parents have got to sit and watch their kids climb uh, and an indoor climbing gym. Now we've got an indoor climbing gym, the centrepiece of the shopping centre. And again, what would indoor climbing and shopping centre have in common? Nothing. But a creative person has realised by taking this idea and this idea, you can put it together and come up with something significantly better. Um, look, we all know Steve Jobs didn't really invent anything in the iPhone. What he did was put the technology together. That's what made him so special. So we tend to think creativity is about coming up with brand new, fresh, never seen ideas before, but they're very few and far apart. What it really is, is the ability of someone to connect two things together where a one plus one equals three. But, but at that stage, what's really important, you have to understand, is to make the creative stage commercial, the value created must be more than the sum of its parts. I'm going to say it again. That's really important. Mm. To make this particular creative stage commercial, yeah. the value created must be more than the sum of its parts. So the dying shopping center and the dying squash that might have had 50 visitors each now have 400 visitors between mm. them. It's not 50 plus 50 equals 100. It's the potential of 50 plus 50 equaling hundreds. And so when you've got your brainstorming and your ideation map, it is now a matter of looking on that map and looking at all the ideas and, and the hundreds of ideas. And you can, I won't go into the skills of brainstorming. You can group them, you can prioritize them, you can dot both them. There are so many wonderful things you can do with brainstorming once you've come up with the ideas to share and sort them. And there's some great design thinking tools. Again, we've got them on our online downloading. Well, we talked about the online game, but we've also now got an online uh, Miro board that can walk you through this whole process. Yeah, we'll so share all that out. Design thinking tools all mm -hmm. over here. So you can go to those design thinking tools and pull any of those out to, to get your brainstorming ideas great. But the real core of the brainstorming now is to connect ideas together on that on the all the ideas you've had. And and I suppose kids are still good at this process. They can still, they can make, they may not be doing it as formally as we do, but they can make those great connections. But us old adults, we need to see everything online. Uh, we need to see everything in front of us and then we can start connecting things together. So just in saying that there was a web series I saw a few years ago called Everything is a Remix. Exactly. Which mentioned that there's not many new new ideas. Everything is a yeah, combination of things. That's how I sort of frame it in my head to then realize oh, you just got to put things together. You're remixing previous ideas into something better. I think that's so true because we we tend to think I'm not creative because I can't invent something new. But let, let's get over that. That rarely happens these days. Most things have been invented. It's not the 1400s anymore. There's oh, most of the things have been invented, really. So that that's, the, that's the value of that stage. It really is about, um, again, there's some great online tools that we've got or generic tools that help you make those connections to draw lines between what looks like unrelated. And so that's the first stage just of this critical one, thinking. We're now starting One question there, back. Andrew, just yeah. before you move forward. You mentioned the commercial value must be more than the sum of its two parts. Um, 
at what stage are we getting to that to understand that? Is it obviously beyond the connection? Well, point? we're trying to do yeah. that now. We're <laughs> trying to connect things together. So yeah. one, one well-known example is um, if you had a packet of cornflakes and you put chocolate in them, um, it, would, it would be hard for a mother to justify buying paying an extra premium for cornflakes sprinkled in chocolate because if she was smart, she'd buy the cornflakes and sprinkle the chocolate in and put it on the kid's plate. So whatever the cost of the cornflakes and the chocolate, it's going to be hard for Kellogg's to sell something better than that. But what about if they coated the outside of the cornflake in chocolate? Uh, now, all of a sudden, the mum can't do that and, and therefore they can. it becomes a premium product. So this, this stage is about making those connections uh, trying to understand how they can come together and then starting to look at, okay, uh, where, where are we getting that magical uh, non-maths of one plus one equals three or one plus one equals four? So you could probably start connecting things together, but if, if the one plus one equals two or less than two, you're wasting your time. Okay. Uh, you know, there's nothing funny or sadder than when HP, I think it was introduced some tablet years ago. It was slower than all the tablets on the market. It was more expensive and it was heavier. And we're thinking, why would you even... Why would you bother? <laughs> what's, why, it's, it's bound yeah. to fail. You haven't added any value. You haven't offered anything better than what's already on the market. If you really are going to play in these very um, busy places, you really must come up with a, a breakthrough. And as you pointed out, Anthony, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, a new concept. It, it is the connection of something that adds the value. Even if you look at existing, say, tablets, the iPad or whatever's out there, each year is just an iteration on the previous. There's nothing groundbreaking on you, and they just get hammered for not exactly. having something new as well. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the examples that we've always said, if you're in retail and you're going up against um, some of the big, the, some of the big huge shops, um, you know, like Costco or or, uh, or Woolies or Coles in Australia, um, you know, you've got to work out what are you good at. You can't try and replicate that. They've got such incredible process-driven systems and, and cheap pricing because they've just refined their processes to absolute, you know, zero almost in terms of efficiency loss. So if you're going to be a boutique shop, you can't sell on price or you can't sell on efficiency because you'll never, ever be able to match the big players. You're going to have to use the brainstorming ideas and say, well, what, what can we sell uh, that, that that the big players can't sell? What what can we offer that the big people can't offer? And then with the lens of like a startup, having that first mover advantage will only get you so far because everyone else can learn from you, remix it, and then in, improve or introduce, yeah. Well, that, that is always the danger. Uh, yeah, the, the first mover advantage, then you've got to sell it. But, but you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not going to talk about how to come in behind a first mover advantage. This session's about how to get that first mover advantage and get into that blue ocean. But also, you know, you might want to be known as a creative company mm -hmm. uh, that, that people will come to you first. But look, there's definitely a, a challenge of the, of the first buyers because they will always be the, 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 the lower end of the bell curve. Um, so you do need, I, I know Panasonic was very interesting. I mean, they, I've, as a customer, I've, I've never really seen them come up with anything new, but they've often come in behind Sony and some of the others and come up with a slightly better product at a better price. They, they've clearly said, we don't want to, we're not the innovative company. And that's why I would strongly suggest that companies look at their mission statement. And if innovation's in their mission statement, then you, you need to be listening to this <laughs> podcast. If innovation's not in your, in your mission statement, then you may be better off you know, being a process-driven person or, or a follower and, and you want to improve it. But if, if you're working, I think this podcast is going out to a lot of startups, you, you've got to start thinking about where you sit on that food chain. If you are a startup and you want to get in there with something new, I mean, I was working with a company years ago that was trying to develop facial recognition software as a university in Europe. And I thought, you won't have a chance. Google or Apple are going to buy you out or, or, or come in over the top of you. It doesn't matter what you do. They're too big. They'll come in over the top. So the question in the tech world is, what can you do that Google and Apple and Microsoft can't do? And, and that's a tough question. It is a tough question because um, technology is ever evolving and there's, there's an app for everything these days and there's a solution for everything. I think the advantage that um, startups have and if they're to be the unicorn is a different world, but if they want to be niche and service specific customers in specific ways, there's opportunities in the marketplace because that's where the value can live, really in the niching, adding value, and the combination of things that some customers may not have seen before is where they might be able to some significant value. And that's definitely something a Google or a Microsoft is not interested in. Um, they're more looking at mass market, serving everybody uh, with as much as they can or getting their technology in the hands of everybody rather than a niche. Uh, that's not what they do. So I think um, getting clear. Yes, 
mm-hmm. you focus on that yes. one person, mm-hmm. one problem, one solution, yeah, rather than the mass. Yeah, yeah. Well, that comes back to your vision, mission, mm-hmm. values. You know, do you really know who you are and where you stand? I mean, as I said, I hate the word training, but people call Tyrion our company a training company. Um, and we fight against that, or a team building company, and we fight against that because we're not doing childish team building and boring skills based training. We really are focusing on innovative, creative ideas and helping companies with those innovative, creative ideas. And we we try and you know sometimes I, I say to people, you, you need when they want to engage me for a keynote talk, this is what I won't do, uh, just just to say this is my focus. It's going to help you become creative and innovative. Um, and that that's where we're focusing on. So if someone wants to go into process design or process efficiency, then they need to go and do a Six Sigma course because this is about, this is looking at big breakthroughs, not not process efficiency such as Six Sigma. And you talk about big breakthroughs. If you are, you've got innovation in your, your mission or your vision, um, how, like a question we haven't asked is how often should I be implementing these strategies in a business? What should I be doing is should I be consistently looking at big problems and then testing? I imagine once we get an idea, we combine a few things and we say, okay, we're going to prototype this particular thing. What? How often would one business be doing this type of work? What do you recommend for people to dive through this process? Look, I... My my ideal is for someone to use, obviously, my model or our model, but it doesn't really matter. There's a lot out there, whether it's the design thinking model. I mean, let, let's talk about ours because that's what we're talking about today. But the idea is is to not go and come to one of our courses or do the online course and learn the model and then shelve it and pull it out every six months when you've got a big problem. I, I, you know, and the beauty of, what again, where, we're, where do we position ourselves against Stanford and IDEO and some of the big companies is, you know, that they're a very long, technically drawn out process often. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, you have to be a real junkie and a real technical expert to understand it. We want our model to be used in seven seven stages, seven minutes. Um, you know, it's much, it, rather than just file it and pull it out every, every six months when you've got a big issue, it's much better that every time you have a problem, it doesn't matter how small it is, train your mind to go through and think about, hang on, before I come up with a solution, what are the questions? What's the ambiguity? What's the brainstorming? Am I using all sides of my brain? Am I connecting things together? And then we'll get to the apply stage in a minute. And if we can, I mean, that's yeah, seven seconds. <laughs> Sounds easy now. And if we can go, yeah, if we can, every time we got a problem, and I worked with one company and I got into, there was a big bank and I said, right, you guys come up with your own problems to solve. And one of the groups said, we're really pissed off that we only get half an hour lunch and there's a queue for the microwave. <laughs> Because we've only got one microwave. And I thought, wow, we're trying to solve world peace here. And you guys are worried about queuing up for the microwave. And then one lady said, yeah, I want to go out for a jog. Um, and therefore, I, I, I sacrifice my lunch for exercise. But then by four o'clock, I'm feeling, you know, really bad. Well, that's interesting because now it's getting back to performance. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's stop solving world peace for a minute. And um, let's solve the microwave issue. And we, we put something as what, you know, for you and me sounds very trivial, but for them it wasn't. Uh, we put that into the model and came up with a solution. And that one came up quite fast. Obviously, as I say to companies, if we've only got two or three days, let's not go for world peace. Um, I think it's it, I think we need to set aside the, uh, choose the right problem for the right amount of time we've got available um, and, and, and how and what its ramifications or its budget are. So the microwave one we knocked over in about forty-five minutes. Buy more microwaves. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the ideas. <laughs> well, lots sure. of lots of ideas. But then look, um, another one that Jaya did last year was a, a coffee company that was um, started by a founder who was um, extremely successful. But he just loved coffee and traveling the world. He wasn't obviously he was business savvy, but he certainly hadn't done a PhD in business. But, you know, the coffee company grew and grew and grew and became one of Australia's best coffee companies. Um, It got a couple of really, then he brought in some big wig um, corporate guys to help run it, which was a very smart move of his. And at that stage, we came in and went through a whole design thinking process. And one of the things was, well, we we need to stop just selling boutique coffee and get into Coles and Woolies. And the other thing was, how can we get our company ready to sell? Um, you know, and I'm talking globally and a lot of money. And so that one obviously is worth a little bit more time than, than fixing the microwave <laughs> issue because this is the whole yes. strategic de- development. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, and, and it was all through COVID that, that um, so the other issue was we had was everything we did and then COVID hit. It was now what do we do? Uh, Jay was going to their office at one stage when they were all about to work from home for the first time. And the whole office, the whole, you can imagine. Everything is a turbo, yes. 
nevertheless, I'm pleased to say that um, I think last month they sold to a global company for a lot of money. And uh, <laughs> just a clip off the, the sale, right? <laughs> and, and not um, well, I wish we yeah. I wish we'd bought yeah. shares and not uh, and not just for a daily fee, but. But so, so my answer to you, Andrew, is, you know, it can be as small as the microwave, which shouldn't take more than, I won't say seven minutes, that might be a bit insulting, but, you know, really, really short time, right through to something as big as we want to get our company uh, into Coles or Woolies, the big department stores, or, or even bigger, we want to get our, our, our small company, which then became big by Australian standards to become globally bought. Uh, and that required a lot more time and a lot more investment. But the key thing is here, as I mentioned before, your, your brain is like a muscle, use it or lose it. You can't shelve this stuff and then pull it out every six months and expect people to, as I mentioned, give them pizza and Coke, stay up late on a Friday night, have a hackathon, uh, oppress them for the rest of the week and then wonder why they're not coming up with creative ideas. It really has to be part of the culture. It really has to be part of you know, everyday thinking. So so straight away, we're thinking, what are the four stages or the seven steps that I need to go through to solve? As small as the microwave, right through to as big as... It's training that brain, happen. right? To think in a different way and a different model. Yeah. And do it. The more you do it... The yeah, like anything. Uh, we get more familiar and then something that maybe took in half an hour will take five minutes to go through once, once you train that brain to do that. Well, that's right. You definitely get quicker at doing it. I mean, you stop and ask yourself, have I asked the right question? Have I looked at the ambiguity? Have I, have I brainstormed the ideas? Am I connecting things together? And make sure we've got time for the last stage. Which yeah, apply. Let's chat about apply because uh, we have ideas. We've connected the pieces together. We may have three or four that we're more interested in that may add, we, we perceive that may add more value than, than they would separately. Okay. So the apply stage is one of my pet grievances because um, I don't know whether I'm a born complainer or I see, I see things that go wrong in so many big companies that, that, that just to me look like common sense. But um, the apply stage, the ability is, will it actually work? And this is where finally the left brain keep people come back and go, yes, you know, how come it's taking us too long? And, and you know, the technical words here, prototyping and implementing, if you want to connect it into the design thinking phase. But I cannot begin to tell you, but I will, um, the number of fails that have happened from large companies because they've ignored this stage. They've brought their product to the market too early. Um, they've gone through the solving stage. They've gone through the inquiring stage, the exploring stage, the solving stage. They've come up with this great idea and they've thought, they've, they've, like, they've run a race and they're out, of, they're out of energy and they think, well, let's just take it to the market. Um, and yet this is where you need those left brain thinkers and a whole new stage, again, a process to stop and say, okay, let's not pat ourselves on the back too early. Um, let's make sure this actually works because it's much better that it fails um, <laughs> here in our office than we take it to the market and it fails. And look, one of my classic examples there is that, that TV show Shark Tank, which is at the better end of reality TV shows, um, where these budding entrepreneurs get to present to a board of investors their ideas. And like all these reality TV shows in season one, no one really knows what's happening. But by the time you get to season seven or eight, Honestly, if you get picked to go to Shark Tank, you've, you've got a chance to make it. And yet the number of people that turn up to Shark Tank with a great idea, but haven't thought about how it will work and haven't anticipated, you know, it's called Shark Tank, meaning the investors will ask you difficult questions. So you'd be an idiot. And unfortunately, there are plenty of them that, that have made it through to get on camera. What, six an hour? That, that's pretty good. Uh, maybe 20 in a whole season. You're the 20 out of millions that have got through. And you haven't stopped to think about what sort of questions am I going to get asked? Uh, and when you look at um, the research of what makes the most um, Shark Tank pitches fail, it's simple things like they didn't know the numbers. They weren't prepared for the numbers. Um, they didn't prove concept with sales. They didn't have a niche market. Um, they couldn't make unproven claims about the product. Uh, they failed to solve a real consumer issue and not enough infrastructure. Now, if you can't get those things across in 90 minutes, in 90 seconds, you're gone. And yet it really surprises me the number of people that have gone into um, a, a, a new venture and not thought about what could go wrong. So um, the, the top 20 reasons why startups fail are there's no market need, they ran out of cash, they're not the right team, they got outcompeted, they had pricing issues. We really have to think about all these before we just jump straight into it. And my, my classic case study here is the introduction of, um, what do they call it, the, the ride-sharing bikes that appeared yes, on the streets <laughs> of Melbourne, Sydney, Singapore, 
France, Canada, and the trees and the uh, rivers and of Melbourne as well, by the way, and, the, and then in the trees and the rivers of Melbourne and every other city. Yes. Well, this was the irony of it. I mean, if you think about they, they, they whoever came up with the concept of bikes, uh, if, you, if you go through the creative model, was brilliant. They, they, they came up with a question. They came up with a need. They came up with an incredible ambiguity, which is the same thing Uber did. We've got all these roads and people out there and people driving. Um, they brainstormed lots of ideas and they came and then they connected something together. And that is, what about if we create a concept of ride sharing bikes using modern technology? So they went right through all these stages absolutely brilliantly. Now, the first time the red bikes appeared on Manly Beach, where I live, I walked down to the office and thought, <laughs> I'll give these 24 hours. And I was right. One of the biggest problems yes. in Australia is you have to wear a yes. helmet or you get fined. Well, the helmets were just loosely attached to the bikes. So I can tell you there's 100 kids walking around Manly right now with free helmets because there was no way that those yes. helmets are going to stay on the bikes. And as soon as the helmet was gone from the bike, yes. the bike oh. became useless. Now, that took me two seconds to work that out as I was walking along. I thought, yeah. when I walk back home tonight, I bet 90% of those helmets are not going to be there. And that's rendered the whole model ineffective. So out of all the money that was invested and all the great ideas and all the costs and all the creative ideas, no one stopped and thought, if we put those bikes in the streets with helmets, what's going to stop? What's going to happen to the helmets? So this solving stage we call experiment and explore with different paths. Go and prototype it, scenario it, and ask yourself, will it actually work? And as you mentioned, there were Facebook posts of bikes in trees, bikes in rivers, uh, you know, people having fun of artistic putting bikes places. Now, the challenge is I think these bikes originally came out of China or Singapore, where it's a very ordered society and you wouldn't dare do that. I mean, Singapore, if you leave a bike on the you street, you'll, you'll get fined possibly along with the chewing gum issue. So these things work in Singapore, but as soon as you move yeah. it to Australia, it didn't work. But I, but I have a reverse of that. I worked with um, APEC, Asia Pacific Economic Forum, and the um, Australian Chamber of Commerce on, on companies, uh, but this was specifically in Vietnam. And, um, and they said that a lot of mistakes that people make, that the job of APEC is to try and get companies to start, you know, take their idea from Australia and move it into Asia. And they said, off the record, the number of companies that come into Vietnam and think they can just transfer what worked in Australia into Vietnam is just is just crazy. But look, we don't need to go past Starbucks. Starbucks has totally failed in Australia. Um, and here's a large American company thinking they could just transplant it straight into Australia, not understanding the culture, mm. not asking, will it work? Yeah. So this stage is all about so it's will those it key work? questions. And and in the in the, in the example of the bikes, um, if they ask the question. How do we uh, make sure the helmets uh, actually stay on the bikes? Maybe they would have had a different solution to that problem. <laughs> well, I think you'd even have to go a question before that. Um, and that is, yeah, we've got an issue is helmets are, are, are legal in, have to be legal in Australia. That's right. How do we, do we need them? How do we secure them? And it might have been a no-starter, but, but until That's they were able to solve yeah, that exactly. problem, that it wasn't going to work. So it's all about asking those questions now to really ensure this thing's going to work. Um, and that, I imagine, requires stakeholder engagement, maybe some customer surveying. What would that involve at that level? Prototyping, yeah. Look, there are, again, um, mm. there are so many great tools out there. I think what, what, what yeah. the value of what we're talking about in the programs we've designed is we'll give you the structure and the process. And, and if we do a one-day workshop, we don't get into all the tools. We just, we just go through these stages. But if someone wants to do what I call the, 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 the plus version, um, then we say, now that you've understood the process, now we'll bring in all the tools. And then you could spend six months doing, as I said, a, uh, an IDL Stanford course, uh, which really go into all the tools in detail. So I'm not going to get too much into the tools at the moment, but, you know, prototyping, as you said, testing, customer engagement, trying it with a focus group, um, uh, uh, looking for uh, extreme users. I think this is a really important thing that, again, companies fail to do. Um, look, I've got a million miles and sort of spent, uh, until COVID, spent a lot of time traveling and, and have been to most five-star hotels globally and really can see a lot what's going on in the hotels. I'm an extreme user. I'm very fussy about, uh, you know, I'm not fussy, but I, I, I can spot things that go wrong. You can't go to someone that's gone to Club Med Bali for the first time in their life. They've left Australia and gone to a hotel and said, what do you think of Club Med Bali? Look, nothing wrong with Club Med Bali, but it's a, it's a three to four star at best, you know, tube and through hotel. It, 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 it's great for its market. 
But I've had people come back and say, oh, my gosh, that was the most amazing five-star experience ever. Oh, the buffet was incredible. The food was amazing. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe these guys are patting themselves on the head saying, oh, we've got a great five-star hotel. It's not. Um, but the only way you're going to find that out is, is finding an extreme user. So, you know, you really need to go with the extreme user um, situation and find those people that are have, have, have used and sampled everything because sometimes we're a bit full of ourselves and we can't see the forest for the trees. So, we again, we congratulate ourselves and pat ourselves in the back too much for coming up with a great idea. Go and play devil's advocate. Um, there's another tool mm -hmm. called the what if or the 10th person. Um, if nine people like it, go and find the 10th person that doesn't like it. Ask why they don't like it. Find out if it's legitimate. Find out what their problems are. But, you know, we're... we're People are tired at this stage mm. if they've spent a lot of time bringing something to market. They'd almost rather bury their heads in the sand and <laughs> just put it out there. It doesn't exist than actually go, than actually go and find these people. And I think that that that's I find it interesting, yeah. Dangerous. And mm. and you know sometimes it's so messy um, that you've got to go back and start again. And and really, who's got the energy after you've just run a marathon to realize, oh wow, well that you know you've taken all the way through to the bikes. And all of a sudden, the helmets become a, no, a, a, a non-starter as far as I'm concerned. That means you've got to go right back and start questioning, ambiguity, brainstorming, connecting. I mean, people run out of puff. And so it is a, it is a, it is a, it is a challenging thing here of what to do. We interviewed um, a lady who was uh, one of the big people in CSIRO, uh, again, on, on one of our quick YouTube interview. And she said there are four key, four key questions CSIRO, which is our Australian... Re what science. Yeah, research. Yeah. It's our big science, science area. But the, the four big questions are, who cares? Meaning, is there a large enough market? Um, is it repeatable? Can it be reduced? Can it be reproduced? Is it scalable? Can we keep up with demand? And is it viable? Can we sustainably afford its production? Now, they're, they're looking at a production thing. But, you know, there are so many different questions that we need to ask at this stage. But my concern is people have run out of energy and they just want to bring the product to the market. And they're almost like Samsung that brought their folding phone to the market and people were peeling the screen off the phone thinking it was the screensaver. Um, now, really, did they not sit down with, did they not sit yeah, down with their multi-million dollar investment of the first folding phone and put it in front of someone and say, open peel the phone the and watch them <laughs> peel the phone off? <laughs> and then think, okay, we better, you know, probably they said, oh, but you didn't read instruction five. Well, we don't read instructions these days. But it just astounds me that they could bring that phone to the market and then the reviews would start to say people were trying to peel off the Crazy, plastic screen. Did they not think about that? Did they not take that to a consumer group yes. and watch and say, here's a phone, play with it? Oh, look, I'm sure they did. But somehow that got through. It created terrible reputation loss for Samsung. Um, and it yeah, and after they've put so much money into it, right? So they've actually produced these things. Yes. Exactly. It, yeah, I think it's yeah, hard to really, make. To me, that would have taken a, a five-minute with it with an extreme user but yeah, maybe the that, opposite. that case you don't want <laughs> yes that's user. right you're the grandmother that you want a grandmother <laughs> <laughs> you got the simple yeah exactly. it's, it's hard to know when exactly. you're in that bubble. and and i'm going to add to the, the the cultural context of an asian uh sometimes a korea or north asia where where you don't want it, the power ratio distance between you and the boss um is very big so you're not going to go and question your boss and you're not going to go and challenge your boss. I mean, in Australia, we'd question the boss straight away. The, the power ratio, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in his book, the power ratio distance in Australia is very it's low. Very close, so yeah. we tell the boss what we think about it straight away. But in some cultures, the power ratio is very, very high. Uh, we know it caused the Korean airline crash where the second pilot didn't want to make the first pilot look bad by telling him he's about to crash the plane. So again, if you're in a culture that the power ratio of leadership is high, um, all the more reason to have a process to allow you to say, okay, at this stage of the invention, at this stage of our creative idea, we've connected the ideas together. Now we need to ask ourselves, will it work? Will it work with extreme users? Will it work with grandmothers or, or, or not extreme users? Uh, who is our audience and what are we expecting? A, the whole process is quite thorough. Um, talking to at the top audience that we have, they might be slightly challenged because they've got one or two people that are starting up a concept or trying to do something new. They maybe get attached to their concept and then that, that is a dynamic that becomes a bit problematic for anyone that's founding something new, 
within that sort of world and realm. But also, they're, they're a certain personality type, and you do, like you said, you'd need a mix of personalities to get to a point of an answer. Um, what would you recommend for someone that's a one or two man show that's, uh, or three or four in, re in some realities that are starting a new product? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would recommend, well, whether it's one, two or a hundred, I'd, I'd recommend the, the, the issue of embracing diversity because you, you hit the nail right on the head. We tend to employ like-minded people. Or people like us. Starting up a company. <laughs> You know, yes. you know, we feel good. We feel good with like-minded people. None of us wants that tenth person to constantly be telling us what's wrong. I'm on a body corporate here with a building that's going through a large development, and there's nothing I like more to getting a bunch of random people on the body corporate that don't necessarily like each other, um, don't necessarily agree with each other. But I, I've often said to the project manager, if these three people agree that have all got a building background because they don't like each other and they don't get on with each other and they don't trust each other, okay. <laughs> if these three people agree, I'm in because because I know that every every angle has possibly been looked at on, on this building. But so the answer is diversity, whether you're a single person, that's the idea of the left or right brain or a small team. But you're absolutely right, Andrew, there is an we've put, as I said, we run out of puff because we've put so much investment and, and energy into getting it to this stage. We really don't want to have to go back and start again. And, and, and we almost want to bury our head in the sand. So the answer is, um, we've so maybe we need a uh, that tenth person to only come in at this stage in the process. So often when I'm developing our online um, gamification simulations, I'll develop it all uh, by myself, and then when I think it's ready, and I tell you this is very it it it, it, uh, it kills me. I've got to wake up the next morning, and and by the way, our last step is about embracing optimism. If we don't get to it, because this is we we need that skill set of optimism. I will spend months designing an online, like the online Who Kill Creativity game or the online Miro board for this particular creative thinking process, and I'll have it all what I think is perfect, and then I'll send it to my team. I'll send it to my wife, who's you know PhD at Sydney Uni. I'll send it to my interns uh, that are young millennials, um, and I'll watch them play it, and I'll work out where 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 are they stumbling. And and one example is I, I developed an online um, game that required someone to paste a URL into a browser. Now should be yes, you know I mean? not That's for everybody. Pretty easy instruction, but. When I watched them, they were trying to paste oh. a URL into Zoom. <laughs> now, that's my fault because I made the assumption that okay. they know what a browser was. Um, so it was only when I realized that, that they weren't very, and she kept apologizing, so I'm sorry I've spoiled your game. And I said, no, this is why we're trialing it. Now I need to say, paste your URLs into a browser, brackets, Google Chrome, Edge, or, um, or Firefox, because some people don't know what a browser is. Um, it's, but you only pick that up as you go. Yeah. So when I design our programs, I then will always send them back to our team. And it's, it's humiliating. I don't want to have to go back and, you know, particularly when you've got a wife who's <laughs> as smart as my wife, she, she just pulls the whole thing apart. And, and that does, I'm not saying we'll go to the eighth, the seventh stage, but that seventh step is about having an optimistic mindset because it, I, I just think, well, I've got two, three responses. No, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm right, which is dangerous. Uh, I give up because I'm not going to go back and start again, or I'm going to sleep on it, wake up the next morning fresh or wake up the next week and say, all right, let's, let's, let's go into round two, round three, round four. And that's what the prototyping stage does. But as I said, it's, it's really hard when you put so much energy to get it to there. There is a bit in that. And I think that it's, it's being um, disciplined enough to see it through. Uh, if you want to, like anything, um, nothing's ever perfect to first time round. You might be one little decision away from what is a great product compared to a very mediocre one. Um, one little insight away, and it's we just don't know what that one piece is, but we just need to keep unpacking and unpacking and unpacking and exploring and testing, engaging. Uh, but some people just want to go and hit the go button and just build. And one of the key things we do in our world is um, just helping people build technology in a space of ideas. And we find that um, the ones that just want to build something generally fail fast um, and quickly and don't deliver anything. <laughs> the ones that are really happy to step back and just listen and observe and get perspectives from other people have a lot more chance of success, which really leans into they're open, they're willing to listen, learn and evolve. They're not they're not locked into their own mindset. I think it's a that's a skill that you need in this world if you're going to be creating, innovating new ideas. It's a challenging skill because often a creative person is very entrepreneurial. 
Um, you have to have a lot of confidence and dare I say even arrogance to be a little bit creative and think <laughs> that you're going to come up with yes. something that hasn't been done before. So it's certainly not for the humble and uh, you know passive person. The the creative people are, are often the entrepreneurs, but then they are the ones that are the least likely to be able to accept feedback um, and and go back and start again. Look, some of the tools that can be used at this stage, and again, Google them. Minim, minimal viable product is an interesting one, uh, but not so minimal that people are peeling the screen off your, off your I've heard it. phone. Um, Prototyping yeah. is an interesting one. Agile and Scrum is another method that everyone throws around. What does the word Agile mean? It means the ability to, uh, well, both Agile and Minimal Viable Product are about the ability to get something out as fast as you can. Viable, so it does have to work. Uh, don't wait for it to be perfect to get it out, but also uh, be good at it. That, 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 that means how good is your customer support? Because if you're bringing out a minimal viable product, look, I've just bought um, a, a robot vacuum cleaner and I'm on my 10th <laughs> hour to get the app to connect. Um, and it really annoys me when it says its punchline is smart cleaning or just plug in and play. And I'm sending them 84 screenshots of my um, of, of, of the time at times in, times out, disconnects, downloads the firmware. And, and I held off buying a robot vacuum cleaner because I thought surely by now we're over that sort of initial stage and they would have come down and... But 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 I'm, I haven't got the out the solution yet. I'm still waiting. But it's obviously still still in developer stage. Look, I'm going to be forgiving as long as they're going to work with me. But if they disappear or say we don't have the um we don't have the bandwidth and we'll get your 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 call is important to us. We'll get back to you in two weeks time. Um, then 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 I'm I'm going to take it back to the shop and, and ask for a, a different brand. So you know they've clearly brought something out that's not working. I wished I'd read yeah. the App Store reviews because they were pretty damaging. And one of the things I've actually said to this company is, do your developers read the App Store reviews? Because I'm not the first person. Unfortunately, I read all the magazine reviews and they said the software was a bit buggy. I didn't read the App Store reviews, which just were scathing about it doesn't connect, everything I'm feeling. I thought, surely a multi-million dollar company is not going to bring out something that's so buggy. And so I'm, I'm going to keep pushing them now and maybe we'll have to have a fourth podcast to see what their answer was. But I've got to ask, do the developers read the app reviews? Are they doing something about it? Do they have something in the pipeline? Uh, or are they just ignoring it and saying, we're, we've run out of puff, we've brought our robot vacuum cleaner to market, take it as it is. So we'll have to, um, we're in the process, um, I'll be checking my emails after this podcast to see if they've got back to me. Their first get back was to send me about 20 pages oh, of um, generic uh, instructions, which I told them I'd already read. So, so now I wrote to them and said, please don't send me any more of those, I've read everything. And, and then I said, if you've got to send me 20 Correct. pages you're, you're the one hunting for the, to find a solution. They've got no idea. <laughs> Yeah, now they're telling me to hotspot it off my phone and change the password on my on my second phone to the same password as my MBN provider, and then turn the phone off and it'll jump across to the. And I'm thinking, really, you know, is is this what you brought to the market? So be warned, be wary of that. As I said, maybe it is minimal viable product. Let's see now. And I'm not here to bag the robot vacuum cleaner company. What I'm saying is, if if you're going to bring a product to market prematurely because it'll never be perfect make sure you've got the infrastructure in place to have the customer support ready for what it might like also be is limiting the users at the start work. as well your pre-users like yes you would have hoped but maybe not <laughs> maybe not by the sound of things but. no this has been out for some time as i said you look at the app store reviews and i'm thinking gosh that's just uh, bizarre look the other great tool that's one of my favorite is called a pre-mortem it was written up in Harvard Business Review years ago. And, and I've used this a lot when we run big conferences. And what you do is you sit down with your team once you've designed everything. Uh, let's say, for example, I've designed a whole conference and the whole educational side of it and how it's going to integrate in. And, you know, even, even though I'm not in charge of the event management, you know, if I'm giving a keynote, I'm the one that looks bad if something goes wrong on stage, including entry, exit, music, whatever. Um, I would sit down with the team, we do a, a pre-mortem and that means Let's assume this completely failed. And now we list down all the things that were all the all the reasons why it failed. So a postmortem is when someone dies, you go and look what everything went wrong. Well, a pre-mortem is you pretend it's died. And then you go through and troubleshoot all the reasons why it died. And it might be, well, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, I know when I used to run conferences or go even to a workshop, don't ever assume that the room is what your is is, is ideal for your environment. Okay. I mean, I've been asked to give workshops <laughs> in noisy restaurants. 
yeah. I'm thinking, what are they giving? Uh, and you know, now that we're online, it's I mean, true. don't assume we've had challenges. They're going to give you work. So I, I, I made the assumption the other week. Oh, even as something, be careful. Watch out for Zoom because some of the banks have disabled chat. So I, I at least went through. I at least went through and said, okay, what could go wrong? They they tell us we have to go onto a platform that doesn't work, that we can't distribute material, we can't put them in breakout rooms. I went through everything. And then I said to the group, I'm going to send you this PDF with all the login instructions on chat. <laughs> it's no chat. Said, no, <laughs> oh, no. So now I've got in my, um, what do you call it, my pre-Zoom pre, uh, webinar checklist. What, what platform have you got doesn't have this functionality? Uh, and often you get a disconnect between the marketing department. I, I got asked to do a big, a big uh, keynote for a thousand people for a, a large company. And I said, look, none of the platforms really will support a large thing. But that's where you've got the marketing of the events team with these idealistic ideas versus the IT team that says you can't do it. But the marketing what events team hasn't spoken to the IT team. So they think they're going to run this conference with a thousand people coming in on Zoom or whatever. Uh, then they're going to break out into groups. And then she said, can you make it engaging and gamified? Can you make it a simulation? And I said, what, all a thousand at once? And she said, oh, we only want to do one hour. And I said, look, I, I think, you know, the, the, you're asking a little bit too much here. We need to work out. I can do a thousand people in groups of 10. I can do this, that. But in, in that sense, that was my job to educate the, uh, the, the, the person that wanted the program to say, we just can't do that. But the mistake we make is we say we can, we make the assumption, um, and then and then all of a sudden we find out too yes. late it fails. And who looks bad? Okay. Me. So that's what a pre-mortem does. It, it, it asks your team to sit down and go right from start to finish, whether it's organizing a conference, running a workshop, running a webinar, or bringing a product to market, right from start to finish. It's a great little uh, thing for anyone listening because sometimes we can go in with uh, uh, everything's positive everything's going to work that rose colored glasses um and just assume but we've gone through we've spoken to people yes it all sounds fantastic but have we really dug in enough and then maybe ask some different questions that may throw things out like uh how are the helmets going to stay on the bike what what could go wrong the helmets could go missing now no one can ride the bike <laughs> Yeah. You know what's so funny? I mean, I maybe yeah. I don't want to say I'm a creative, I'm a creative expert, yeah. but I, I, I walk, you know, I walk about two kilometres to work along the beachfront at Manly, and all of a sudden, literally one day, there were hundreds of bikes in in, in groups of ten with these helmets. I reckon I got to the third bike before my brain went, "No, nah, this won't work." And now, now, why did why did it only take me three bikes? Am I am I got this ability to see things that other people can't see? To me, it wasn't rocket science. Uh, it was the helmets won't last. They're not locked down. It, they can't. What would you say is that the process that you've taught yourself to go through clearly to check? Just maybe you did a pre-mortem on those while you're walking past subconsciously. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm a I'm a fairly critical thinker. I know I can go into a conference room within seconds, see what's wrong with the setup, whether it's the sound, the lighting, the way the desks are set up. I, I hate going to these training rooms and everyone's in rows and you know they're all separated and then there's pot plants in front of you as the speaker. There's there's things I've probably picked up in, in designing, you know, my area of expertise designing a uh, you know, running a workshop and now we're replicating that on Zoom. Um, that I've picked up over the years. But I would have thought anyone by now would have had the opportunity to ask yourself, okay, we've got this great idea. Uh, what could go wrong? Uh, have we practiced it? Have we rehearsed? That, that's what a rehearsal is. Um, now, dare I say, when I gave my TED talk, a little bit of behind the scenes here, we had this great dress rehearsal on the Saturday um, where, where the, the AV desk, you know, just to see the slides moving and everything for the TED Talk and everything worked well. When I arrived on the Sunday morning, the AV desk that was only that high, for, this is the audio-visual desk where all the, everything, you know, brains come together. The AV desk had a couple of amplifiers, some mixing desks, some microphone. It was only about that high. When I came in on Sunday morning after the dress rehearsal, the AV desk was now this high. And the AV guys were sitting behind this AD, uh, AV desk that was so high you couldn't see them for a start. Someone had brought in 10 times more equipment. Well, yes. the idea of a rehearsal is a rehearsal. So what ended up happening, and if you look at the, all the people that did the TED Talk that day, no one's mouse worked because the Bluetooth was being interfered by with all the um, audiovisual equipment that some boffin thought he could bring in on a Saturday night. So the rehearsal was totally useless. And, and some guys were, get, got, got, you know, when you do a TED Talk, you've got 20 minutes, you've got 1,000 people out there, and, you know, this is your make or break. And I felt so sorry for some people. They got so confused with pointing the mouse that one guy was 
pointing the microphone and holding the mouse uh, up here because he was just completely thrown that his slides that were behind him that he couldn't see properly weren't working. So, so a rehearsal is a rehearsal. It's not a, a chance to then do something different. And yet, you know, this happens at all levels. Remember the iPhone um, 10? The, the funniest thing with the iPhone 10, the one selling point the iPhone 10 had was the facial recognition software. Go and watch the launch of the iPhone 10. The guy stands up there and says, the, the only reason you're going to pay $500 more than an iPhone 8 is we've got this great ability to recognize your Brilliant. face. He holds it up to his face, doesn't work. Live, holds it up to his face again, doesn't work. Four know, times classic. and in front of everyone, <laughs> he's got to put that, in his code. Yeah. Because their rehearsal wasn't an absolute replica of the actual product launch. So we're not talking about a TED Talk in Hong Kong. We're talking about the biggest, richest, best company in the world screwing up their most important, you know, new feature on a software. And again, I won't go into detail why it didn't work. There's some, there's some great reasons. But point is, it didn't work because it wasn't rehearsed properly. So, you know, don't kid yourself. If Apple are going to make mistakes, so are we. You're probably going to, yeah, we're going to too, that's for sure. And you know, it's okay to make a mistake too, but I think, yeah, the more um, proactive you are on preempting those mistakes and preempting that thinking, the better off you're going to be to launch a, a more better chance of launching a successful product. Let's put it out that way. There's no guarantees in anything. It's um, uh, it's a better chance. It gives you a better chance of survival, better chance of thriving, better chance of making a big success, whatever your objective is, right? Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I think we'll end exactly. it there. <laughs> it's been a great three-part series. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, let's think of those three parts, the yes. who killed creativity <laughs> and then how to get it back and then how to make it work. That's probably our, uh, our three things. And I hope if you get a chance to look at the book or the TED Talk or even download the software that we've designed that you can run this for yourself. Uh, with all those tools, uh, pop it to our website, which is whokillcreativity.com and have a look at it. But I really hope that these three uh, episodes will be a great long form podcast where people can systematically work through those three stages at a yeah, time. Thank you, Ed. It's been a, really a lot of fun. Great ideas yeah, I'll, I've enjoyed the, the process, but uh, we'll get you back at some stage, I'm sure. We've got a whole nother set to talk about innovation, but we'll save that for another day. Yeah, I think there's plenty there for them to go through, so thank you. <laughs> Yeah, we'll start those another series. Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it.